Praise the Lord. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 9, verse number 12. If you would stand in honor of God's great word, holy word. Matthew 2, verse 9. This is, of course, a familiar passage, uh, a, a story that most people, if they don't ever heard the Bible, kind of know a little bit about this. Matthew 2 and 9, it says, When they heard the king, these wise men, or these magi, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. It wasn't a baby anymore. It was a child. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. So they were already in the house, uh, as opposed to what we would see in a nativity scene. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Amen. They came bringing three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Amen. I want to talk to you today on this thought, born to die so we can die to live. Born to die so we can die to live. Let us pray. I need to pray for Sister Rachel, who's not well, and I want to continue to pray for Brother Dan's recovery and others that are struggling with their health. Uh, in Jesus' name, let us lift up our voices and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. We pray for your precious children. Sister Rachel, pray for uh, Brother Dan, Sister Latia, Lord, others that are struggling with their health. We ask you right now that you would go into their sick beds, Lord, and heal them and recover them from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. Lord God, we pray that you would recover, make them whole right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your healing virtue and promise. Thank you for all that you're doing in our midst, O oh God, as you continue to heal your servants. And for your word this morning, we ask you to speak to us, anoint your servant, anoint your people, O oh God. Speak to us one more time. In Jesus' name, we give you praise. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands one more time and praise him. Glory to God. Praise the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. This time of year is very difficult to fast. Can I get a witness, somebody? You've got to try and fit it in when you can, though. It's very, uh, Jesus said, when you fast. Amen. But uh, uh, Christmas is a wonderful time getting together, but it's also a very stressful time. And thankfully, uh, my wife uh, let me off the hook a long time ago, not having to do much shopping. Christmas shopping, because for me it is very stressful. It's very difficult. And, and then I discovered in a recent article, according to a British psychologist, David Lewis, he reports that shopping is hazardous to men's health. Yeah. He tested volunteers between the ages of 22 to 79 years old by sending them out Christmas shopping. And he recorded blood pressure rates that you'd expect to see in a fighter pilot going into combat. 
According to the same test, only one in four women showed any significant signs of stress from shopping. Lo and behold. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and of course, this is just one of the many gender differences uh, between men and women today. And, and so, you know, the question has been asked, what would have happened if there had been three wise women instead of three wise men that came to Jesus? Okay, and now, we don't know if there were three of them. We just assume there were three because there were three gifts. It doesn't say how many there were. But if there was wise women instead of wise men that came, well, the answer would be very simple. What would have happened? Well, they would have asked directions immediately upon commencing their trip which would have allowed them to arrive on time to baby Jesus. And, and they would have helped deliver the baby. They would have cleaned out the stable, made a casserole, and brought cute little outfits that baby Jesus could have worn on his trip home. That's what it would have happened. Amen. Amen. But as it was, there was... These wise men, they were called wise men or magi, which is where we get the word magician from. But back in those days, you know, magicians, people that dealt with the, uh, art, the mystical dark arts, were also called magicians if they were scientists or people that had knowledge. And, and so uh, there was, there's a few misconceptions that people often have about this story um, that, you know, if you calculate it, they did not arrive until well over a year after Jesus was born. And, and oftentimes, nativity scenes, as you would see, you know, in shopping centers and some people's homes, nativity scenes depict three wise men, as I said, but it doesn't say how many there were. It just says that there were three gifts. So we assume that there were three of them because there were three gifts. And remember that the Bible doesn't have any throwaway lines in Scripture. And, and the emphasis in the story is not so much on who these men were, but rather on what they brought the gifts. The Bible goes into detail as to exactly what the gifts were. Amen. Uh, it was not one of those Kris Kringles, you know, 15 buck deal and whatever you pick out is yours. It was very deliberate what they brought. And each one of these gifts is telling. It reveals some importance or some significance as to what they were trying to convey in this story, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, each one precious and each one telling something. Gold, of course, is associated with royalty. This was an ancient time. A gift of gold was an acknowledgement of their royalty, or in this situation, of Jesus' kingship. They were acknowledging that he was somebody special. In fact, in that same chapter of Matthew 2, verse number 2, it tells us, when, the, when these wise men asked the question, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they understood that he was no ordinary baby. He was not a commoner. He was not uh, of the, the, the standard stock, as it were. This was a special child that would be born, and he would be the king of the Jews. Amen. What a great revelation to understand. Praise God. I submit to you today that Jesus is still the King of the Jews. 
But not only is he the king of the Jews, he is the only blessed and only potentate, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. And can I tell you that kings and kingdoms have come and gone. But this king of kings, he still rules and reigns upon the throne. Hallelujah. And he is my king and he is your king. And we are his sons. Praise God. And if we are his sons and his daughters, that means that we are princes and princesses. Amen. I've come to declare that I might not have everything going right in my life, but I'm still a child of the king. And he still... He hasn't abdicated his throne. He still sits upon the throne. He still reigns and rules not only on this earth, but this entire universe. And so here in this day, you can take heart and know that your God still rules and reigns upon his throne. Oh, praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. I, I get excited about when I look into the, the authority and who Jesus is. Amen. But I've got to hurry to my message. This, the second gift was, was frankincense. And frankincense was used as, as embedded in the word itself, the word incense. And it represents, uh, as they put this, this little thing that they put on the altar and they would bring a nice fragrance of smoke. But it represents deity. Amen. That, that in this baby, in this child that was born, conceived in this uh, virgin womb, is this baby. But in this baby is uh, the deity of God. The Bible says that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Amen. He, that's why when Jesus grew and spoke to the people, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. Hallelujah. When they heard that, you know what they wanted to do? They picked up stones to stone him because he was claiming to be the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob when he took on the ancient name of the I Am. He said, before Abraham was, I am. Can I tell you today, Jesus, yes, he came to this earth. He came to this world, but he was also very God. He was God in humanity. He was the God of all creation, not Jehovah Junior, not a second person, not some other person, but the Bible says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hallelujah, the one God is in Christ Jesus. God was manifest in flesh, Paul told Timothy. Great is the mystery of godliness. Without controversy, the mystery of godliness is great. That God was manifest in flesh, was seen of angels, was taken up into glory. Oh, thank God, he is the only one true living God of all creation. Hallelujah. I'm sorry, but there is no other God. When you get to heaven, you'll only see one face, one image. According to Hebrews chapter 2, he is the express image of the invisible. Hallelujah. Oh, thank God we know that name. Thank God we know who he is. Thank God I can call on the name of Jesus. And the God of all creation is able to step out from the cosmos, from the heavenlies, from his celestial realm, and at any time step in to my circumstance and help me through every situation. He said, Behold, I've come to give you peace. I've come to give you joy. I've come to give you strength. 
Hallelujah. Okay, I better calm down now. Get to my Bible study. We're going to go through a bit of scripture. The third thing that they gave him was myrrh. Myrrh, it's, it's one of those fragrant spices derived from the sap of a tree that is native in the Near East. Like frankincense, myrrh can be used as incense, but in the ancient world it was, it was used as spice to mix together with oil used for embalming dead bodies. So the gold was to acknowledge his kingship. The frankincense would acknowledge that he was divine. And the myrrh was an acknowledgement of not only his humanity, but that he would ultimately die. Because Jesus was born to die. Amen. Don't believe what some people say. Well, well, Jesus, I don't know why you Christians celebrate his death because Jesus only came to give us an example of how to live a good life. And yes, he did. He came to give us an example of what it means to be a Christian, of how to love your neighbor. Of He gave us an example of how to treat one another, of how to, how to care for one another. You notice that he was, a, he was known as the friend of sinners. He hung around sinners. He taught them. He didn't condemn them. He didn't preached to them but he befriended them first of all that's what we've got to learn to do that Jesus gave us an example come on some of you believers you don't have to be afraid of getting tainted by the sin of the world now I'm not saying we've got to be foolish and go out night clubbing and go out and getting drunk with people no 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 but I'm saying we've got to be able to touch the lost we've got to be able to make friends with those who don't know Jesus because that's exactly what Jesus did and even though he hung around sinners he never ceased to be what he always is he never ceased to be God and I've come to tell you here today Jesus gave us a wonderful example he showed us what it is to love one another, how to pray, how to fast, how to read the Bible, how to read God's Word. He showed us how to do mighty things, and He verified His authority. He confirmed His deity with the mighty works that He did of not only feeding thousands and seeing the dead raised, but with every miracle that's been written in the Gospels, He showed us His power. But can I tell you here today, that was not the ultimate purpose for Jesus. He was born for the ultimate reason and purpose that he would go to the cross, so that he would lay down his life for his friend. The reason why he was born was so that he could die for you and I. Oh, hallelujah. Don't you ever imagine, don't you ever picture every nativity scene that you see is a nativity scene with the shadow of the cross over that stable. Can I tell you, Christmas and Easter are inextricably tied together. Christmas points to Easter. He was born so that he can go and die for our sins. Oh, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God that he came to shed his blood for you and I. Hallelujah. I'm sorry. I'm going to calm down. Praise the name of the Lord. That's what Paul told the Galatian church in chapter 4, verse 4. He said, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law. What law? The law of this physical world to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. 
Hallelujah. Glory to God. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son. Hang on a minute. The spirit of his, I thought it was the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, there's only one spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. The spirit of his son. Now how can the spirit of his son be in our hearts when he's up in heaven? It's because it's the Holy Spirit. Crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. He, Jesus, was, just, was not just a good moral man. He was not just some teacher to come and teach some principles and some things. But let me tell you, he came to this world not only to teach his word and to preach the gospel, but that he would suffer and die. That's why Jews here today in this world and rabbis, uh, they, they still would not read or preach what's called the forbidden chapter of the book of Isaiah. Because they believe they're going to have a conquering Messiah that would come with a military conquest or a political one. But the book of Isaiah has already prophesied that he would be a conquering Messiah who would suffer and die. Let me read to you these passages of scripture, Isaiah 53 and 3. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, this is the Messiah, and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison, verse number 8, and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off, here it is, from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Amen. We're talking about a suffering Messiah. We're talking about a God who came. In this human flesh, in, in human form, to die the ultimate death for our sins. He died for us. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9 it says, But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, listen to this, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons of glory to make the captain of their, their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Hallelujah. He's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Amen. We might have been ashamed at some point to be called a Christian, but he's not ashamed to call us his brethren. 
Verse number 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, here it is, he himself likewise shared in the same. What he's saying is because you and I are flesh and blood, God himself had to share in the same. This, he, that's why he was made like flesh and blood like you and I. That through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he who does not give aid to angels, but he does, it give, aid, he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he have made to be like his brethren. He's made like us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. He became like us. In order for our sins to be washed away, he, he couldn't just dispel and say, okay, I pardon you. But he had to pay the things that pertain to God. Is that sin had to have a penalty. And because he looked around and saw that there was nobody, regardless, let me tell you, regardless of how good you are, Regardless of how noble and moral, you might be the most upright and moral person in your family. You might be the most upright and moral person in your whole community, in your whole nation. In fact, in this whole world. But can I tell you, when Jesus looked around and said, there's nobody good enough. Because it only takes one sin to disqualify us. Oh, and when you look around this room, we may look sanctified and holy. But can I tell you, we're just a bunch of sinners saved by grace. Ain't nobody better than the next person in this room. Hallelujah. We're all sinners saved by the grace of God. And when he looked around, he said nobody was worthy. So God said, I'm not going to let my people perish. So he came into this world for the sole purpose of laying down his life to pay for the penalty of sin. So that you and I, listen to this in verse number 18, for that he himself was suffered being tempted. He is able to aid, to help those who are tempted. He did it so that you and I could be helped. So that we can have our sins removed forevermore and we can have a life set free from the slavery of fear of death. Hallelujah. You know what he came to set us free from? He came to set us free from the fear of death. Amen. The scariest thing in this world is death for us. But he's saying you don't have to be afraid of death because death is merely a passage of you graduating from this life into the glory and into the ecstasy of the blessedness of heaven. And if you don't have to fear death, he said, then there is nothing in this world that you ought to be afraid afraid of because death is the ultimate fear nothing that this life presents to you you say well you don't know I don't have a job I'm middle aged and I don't have jobs nothing seems to be opening don't you be afraid that's nothing you can look at death in the face and say Jesus my king has conquered you my God is able to perform And I'd take my jacket off right now if I wasn't just wearing this T-shirt. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But he died so that we could live. Praise God. And he came to save us from our sins. And so here's, here's what we have to do. 
What, what's, what's the big deal? What's the big idea? He was born to die. Now we have to die to ourselves in order for us to live. It sounds like a contradiction in terms. It sounds paradoxical. But, but, you know, and this is where so many people stumble. Is that, well, you know, how do I have to live a Christian life? You know, it sounds, seems kind of boring. I can't do this. I can't do that. And i got to have all these things in my life. Can I tell you, the more you die to yourself, the more life comes into your life. Amen. You, you think it's miserable when you gotta put you gotta put boundaries upon your life. You gotta put restrictions. Oh, I, I don't want to be a Christian because it's all about can't do this, can't do that, a bunch of do's and don'ts. No, no, no. Let me tell you, when you give yourself to walking with Jesus and you live a holy life, it's not miserable, it's not bondage, it's not depression. But can I tell you, it's the opposite. You know why? Because Jesus said, "I've come to give you life, and I've come to give it." More abundantly. Hallelujah. He didn't just say, I'm going to give you an existence where you can breathe air every day. No. He said, I've come to give you a life that's abundant. A life that's beyond. That's overflowing. Oh, are you hearing what I'm saying to you today? You, you want to live, you got to die to yourself. Dying to yourself simply means not doing what your flesh always wants to do. Your flesh wants to run here, you run here. Your flesh wants to go there, you go there. Your flesh wants to uh-huh, you uh-huh. But can I tell you, when you say no, I'm following God's word. I'm walking with a new God, with my new Savior. Oh, I'm telling you, it's not misery. This is the best life of all. I wouldn't trade this for any of the multitude of hangovers I used to have. I wouldn't trade this for all of the regrets that I had in this world. This is the greatest experience. Knowing Jesus is the best life of all. Hallelujah. I, I got it. So with that simple concept that we've established, let me get to my Bible study. In order to live, you have to die. That means you you got to kind of go against what your flesh wants to do. Because here's what the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says uh, in verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved. It's the gospel that saves us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves us. What is the gospel? He goes on in verse number three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. Very simply, somebody asked you, what's the gospel? The gospel was Jesus Christ died, was buried, and he was resurrected. That's the essence of the gospel, that Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected. And, you know, we, everybody loves to quote that scripture. You put it on your bumper car sticker. It, you know, uh, God so loved the world, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But too often people stop there. And we, if we just take that, that isolated part of that scripture, for God so loved the world, well, we can just make a whole doctrine out of that and say, hey, well, God loves everybody. God loves the world. So everybody's going to get saved because he gave his only begotten son. 
So does that mean everybody's going to be saved? Including Hitler, Pol Pot, Joseph Stalin, including those blasphemers who go to their own grave cursing God that they're all going to go to heaven? Now all of you, deep down inside, know that that's not true. It's not going to happen. They're not going to go to heaven. But it goes on in that same passage in, in John 3.16. It says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So it's not enough that God loves everybody. But it's for those who believe. And you know, I've had folks tell me, well, you know, you guys are just a bunch of works folks. You know, it's all about works. And I ask the same question, well, well how are you going to say, well, I just believe. Well, isn't belief a work? Isn't that a work that we do? Of course. So then you're being saved by works. It's not works that saves us. It's the works is our response to the gospel. It's how we respond to grace. Because otherwise, if you don't have to respond, then everybody's saved. Then let's just pack up. Let's go have barbecues and do whatever we want to do. Let's sell this church and, you know, let's, I don't know. Put pool tables in here. I don't know. It's not just because God loves everybody that everybody's automatically saved. There has to be a response from the individual, and it begins with belief. You've got to, first of all, believe God. But that's, folks, that's just the beginning. We don't stop at belief. You know, say, well, you know, I believe, so that's enough for me. I believe in Jesus. I know that he's real, and so I'm just going to go out and do whatever I want to do. Live my own life, go fornicate, go watch this and do that and the other. And, and, you know, no, we, we've got to do more than that. It doesn't stop at belief. It starts with belief, but it doesn't stop with belief. Paul asked them, have you received since you believed in Acts chapter 19? Have you received it since you believed? They said, well, we've already believed. Why do we need to receive? You need to receive. Praise God. Okay, this is a little Bible study. It's just Baptism Sunday. So you got to believe in the gospel of death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel saves us. How do we apply the gospel? Well, you've got, you got to look at the very first message of the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, where Peter gave to them the message of salvation. Verse 37, men and brethren, what shall we do? And, and, and Peter said to them, again, Peter didn't mince words. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't say, well, you know, uh, just give me a little money and you'll be saved. Or, or just fill out this form and you're going to be saved. No, he gave to them exactly what they needed to hear in order for them to be saved. And can I tell you, the message is still the same. When they heard this, and Peter said to them in verse number 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. So it, they were already believing because they're at the stage where, what shall I do? I already believe. Well, he didn't say, well, believe some more <laughs> and you'll be saved. No, he told them exactly what they needed to do. He said, repent and be baptized. Repentance is essential for salvation because Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Amen. And he also said that God is not willing. In 1 Peter, he told us, God is not willing that anyone should perish. But that all would, what, come unto repentance. So when you believe, that's a great start. But belief has to lead to repentance. It's got to lead to repentance. And repentance is very simple. 
It just simply means to change your mind. It doesn't take much to repent. It's not years and years of going to Bible school and getting some kind of theological qualification. Oh, now I understand this fancy word, repentance. No, it just simply means you're walking one way and you change your mind. You go, you walk into McDonald's. Oh, no, I think I'll have KFC. You change your mind. That's what repentance is. I'm living my life, however life that I'm living in sin, when I hear the gospel that Jesus died for me, I believe, and now I'm going to turn my life around and begin to walk in the direction that God is calling me to walk. Can I tell you, there's power in repentance. That even the Bible says when one person, one sinner repents, there's joy in the presence of God's angel. Can I tell you, the moment that you decide, it may, they may not be any fireworks, it may not be fancy, you may not hear angels singing down, but the moment a one person repents and says, God, I'm sorry, I'm going to follow you, and they decide. I'm telling you, you're throwing Jesus a party in heaven. They're pulling out streamers, they're blowing, you know, whatever, and they're, they're having a good time because there's power in your repentance. Amen. Repentance is a choice. The Bible says godly sorrow leads to repentance. So sorrow in itself is not repentance because a person could be sorrowful for the life that they've, oh, my life's messed up, look at my life, and yet have absolutely no desire to change. They can even come to the altar, boo-hoo and cry like a baby and come away from the altar still the same, still not making a decision to change. Godly sorrow only leads to repentance. Repentance is a decision in your mind. Can I tell you, it took, some, it took me, this young man, or something like drugs and losing my mind from me saying, Oh God, I, gotta get, I need your help. I'm going to change my life to follow you. And the moment that I did, I felt like all of the forces of heaven came on my side and helped me. Let me tell you, when you make that decision... But I could preach here today until I'm blue in the face. And it won't make an ounce of difference in your life. That you just continue to want to do whatever it is you want to do. And, and it, it won't change. And God will not force you. He won't come down and say, hang on a minute, son, don't go. <coughs> he'll let you go. As a gentleman, he'll let you do whatever it is that you want to do. But if you change your direction and say, God, I'm, I'm giving my all to you. I'm putting my life in your hands. I'm telling you, God's grace will be sufficient for your life. Hallelujah. So we must, we must repent. After you believe, this is, how we, this, is, this is the death part of the gospel. Jesus died. So the death, how we die, we die to our will by repenting. That's the death. And then the Bible says that Jesus was buried in a tomb, right? He was buried. So that death, burial. And so we have to get buried. And this burial is not earthly burial. It's watery. It's a watery grave. We get what the Bible says, baptized in water. Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man is born again of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. This is absolutely necessary for salvation. When Peter said, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ is for the remission of sins. So that means if you have your sins washed away in baptism, I know this is very simple. Stay with me now. If your baptism washes away your sins, so if you're not baptized, that means you still have your sins with you. And if you still 
have your sins with you, then guess what? You can't go to heaven. And he reiterates in Mark 16, 16, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. Come on, I preach, I preach this all the time. You guys should know this by heart. He that believeth not shall be damned. And people try to use that last bit to say, see, it doesn't say he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. They try to say that as an argument to say baptism is not necessary for salvation. No, it's simply reiterating the fact that if you don't believe when you get baptized, then it's, it's pointless. If you don't believe, you're not even going to get baptized. You have to have belief and faith, right? He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believes not shall be damned. Baptism, folks, it is not, there is no scripture in the Bible to say that it's an outward sign of an inward work. That sounds nice, but it's not totally accurate. And there is no scripture to say that, that you know, baptism is for membership of the church. You want to be a member of the church, church you've got to be baptized. No, you do become a part of the body of Christ, but there's a purpose for baptism. It removes your sins. And, and again, there's nothing mystical or magical about the water. It's just water, ordinary water, H2O, same chemical content as any other water. And this one, you know, we filter it, we heat it up. It's nice and warm for you. There's nothing magical about it, but it's simply your obedience to the commandment of God. When you obey his word to be born again of water, you step into that water. And we call the name of Jesus Christ over you when you come up out of the water. Every sin that you've ever committed is completely removed. It is gone. The sin you committed when you were seven years old, remember that, when you lied? And the sin you committed today by that negative thought, it's all washed away by the, the power that's in the name of Jesus Christ. Because of your obedience to God's word. Hallelujah. Isn't that awesome? Oh, hallelujah. I remember the day I was baptized. I was so scared that I was going to die. But I said, that's the only reason I got baptized. You know, I got the Holy Ghost a year before I got baptized. I would never get baptized. You know, I was too shy. I was too scared. I didn't want people looking at me, getting in the water, you know, mess up my hair. <laughs> and I ended up going back. I ended up back to drugs and all that. A year later, I came back because I almost lost my mind. I was doing so much drugs. And I thought I was going to die. And I came back to, I said, I need to get baptized because I think I'm about to see Jesus soon. And they baptized me. It was a Wednesday night. They didn't have a pool heater. It was like, you know, it was cold. You guys are spoiled today. <laughs> and, and, you know, here, here's another point I'd like to make. Is that you've got to do baptism the right way. Y you have to do it the right way. Somebody said, well, it doesn't matter. Somebody told me, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, Brother like used to say, somebody used to say to him, it doesn't matter if you're baptized in the name of ham and eggs. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> Brother like used to say that. <laughs> and, and, and here, I want to show to you something powerful. Here's a little revelation. Baptism. The way that the disciples baptized was very, very simple. Very clear. Romans chapter 6 verse 3 he says, Know you not that many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him in baptism. So when you get baptized, just as Jesus was buried, your, your, your old man, your old nature is buried. And just like as Christ was raised up 
from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in the newness of life. Praise God. Acts 22, 16 says, why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now somebody said, well, we, you know, uh, we baptize according to Matthew 28, 19. Matthew 28, 19 says, well, uh, Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Put that up there if you can. Matthew 28, 19. And so, who wrote this verse of Scripture is, of course, Matthew. Matthew wrote this verse of Scripture as the words that Jesus gave them. Now, watch this. It says, Jesus' instruction, baptizing them in the name, singular. Okay? It doesn't say, there's no S at the end of the word name. The name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. So it's a one name. It's a singular name. And so he's giving his disciples instructions about baptism. So when it comes to the very first message of salvation in the church, Peter stands up, the, 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 the verse of Scripture we've already read. Matthew was right there with Peter. When Peter was preaching, this Matthew was saying, he could have said, hang on, Peter. You're saying baptize in the name of Jesus Christ, but that's not what Jesus said. He didn't say any of that. He didn't correct Peter. He didn't. You know why? Because Peter did exactly what Jesus was commanding in Matthew 28, 19. Because the name of the Son, what is it? Jesus. The name of the Father, Jesus said, my, my, I've come in my Father's name is Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost, because Jesus said, the Holy Ghost whom will be sent in my name. So the name of the Holy Ghost is Jesus. That's why when Peter stood up to, to baptize them, he baptized them in the name of Jesus Christ. And some say, well, it doesn't really matter. If we do Matthew 28, 19, you know, in the name of Father, Son, Holy Ghost, it doesn't matter. God knows what we mean. Well, well yeah, I, I hope that that's true. But I can't put myself in the place of God. I can't assume on behalf of God. I, I, don't, I don't own heaven. We don't own hell. We don't have a hell to put people in. We, can, we don't have a heaven to put people in. All we know to do is what the Bible teaches us to do. And listen, if, you get, if, if somebody gets to heaven getting baptized in the name of ham and eggs, I'll, I'll be rejoicing. We will be happy. We hope everybody can get to heaven just in whatever way. But if you use the same logic... That it doesn't matter how you do it as because Jesus understands what you do. If you use the same logic, where does it stop? Oh, well, let's not baptize anymore. Let's just grab a handful of water and just go, bang, sprinkle you. Let's get a, you know, water spray in Jesus' name or Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Or, or where does it stop? Or maybe let's just dip our finger, baptize in Jesus' name. Where does it end? Or maybe forget about water. Let's just think about water and baptize in Jesus' name. So if you use the same logic, where does it end? The Bible says line upon line, precept upon precept. I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope that, that everybody gets to heaven, but I, I don't have the luxury of being able to do that and saying something against the word of God. Because let me tell you now, if Peter was here, if Paul was here, if Matthew was here, and he was preaching this same message, and if Peter was baptizing you, you know how he would baptize? In the name of Jesus for the purpose of the remission of sins. 
So I've come to tell somebody, if you've not, you're not sure how you were baptized, maybe you were baptized in the name Father, Son, Holy Ghost, and you, the name of Jesus was never mentioned. Well, you know what? You better be sure. You better be, be, be making sure that you are exactly doing what the Scripture teaches. Say, well, you're being a bit legalistic. No, I'm not legalistic. That's Bible. I'm standing upon the Bible. I don't own heaven. It's not mine. All I know to do is what the Bible tells me to do. And if it doesn't matter, praise God, we're all going to get there. But if it does matter, if it does matter, then there's some folks that are going to miss out on heaven. You don't have to delay baptism. You don't have to wait until, you know, a special evangelist comes from the U.S. or a special service. It's absolutely necessary. You cannot go to heaven unless you are baptized. 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3, 3 and 20, 3 and 20. Watch. And you know, I heard people say, well, there's only a handful of scriptures that says baptism is, is for salvation. Well, how many do you need? What they're saying is, because there's not that many, it's only like a handful that says it's associated with salvation. That means we can ignore scripture. Why don't we just start ripping out pages from the Bible right now and let's ignore it. Now watch this. When sometime we're disobedient, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Remember the story of the flood? Noah had to build the ark, save his family and himself and all these animals. Peter's revealing something to us. It says that eight souls were not saved by the ark. They were saved by water. How, how, how does that figure? I thought... He was building the ark, saved himself. No, saved by water because the water destroyed what? The wickedness in this world. Verse 21. Here it is. Here it is. I only need this verse. I said, the like figure in the same way where unto even baptism doth also now. Hang on. Is there, is there another meaning to save? Is there another meaning to save? No, save means in the Greek, I looked it up, save means saved. That's profound, I know. <laughs> Baptism also now save us. It's, it's not just some, some nice thing to do. It's not, oh, if you want to. If it's not necessary, why do it? Oh, uh, you know, God's not in heaven saying, well, I don't want my people to get bored. So how about I do a little thing for them so that they have some kind of ceremony. No, it's not ceremonial. It's absolutely essential. It says, and not putting away of the filth of the flesh. Okay, when you go in the water, we don't give you a scrubber and a loofer to scrub your, your body. Not the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's your obedience to this command to be baptized in Jesus' name that washes away your sins. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. Aren't you thankful? <laughs> Hallelujah to God. Thank you for his revelation and understanding. It is so simple. It is so clear. And, and here, uh, you know, does it matter? Well, I believe it matters. Because if you want to take that same logic to everything else, where will it stop? Forget about, well, let's not do water anymore. But listen to this. Let, let me read this to you. I've got a few of these flyers out. This is what I got from Sri Lanka from our pastor over there. He put this flyer together. Uh, baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. Britannica Encyclopedia. Excuse me for wearing these glasses. I can't see you. 
getting old. I, the writing is so small. I mean, I can make the writing big on my iPad. But the Britannica Encyclopedia, 11th edition, volume 3, page 365. Baptism was changed from the name of Jesus Christ to words, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, in the second century. In other words, the apostles never baptized in titles. They baptized in the name. Britannica Encyclopedia, Volume 3, page 82. Everywhere, the oldest sources state the baptism took place in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Catholic Encyclopedia, Volume 2, page 263. Here, the authors acknowledge that the baptismal formula was changed by the Catholic Church. Oh, I wish I had time. <laughs> Canny Encyclopedia of Religion, page 53. The early church baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus until the second century. Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion, volume 2, page 377. Christian baptism was administered using the words in the name of Jesus. The use of a Trinitarian formula of any sort was not suggested in early church history. Baptism was always in the name of Jesus until the time of Justin Martyr. Hastings Encyclopedia of Religion, volume 2, page 37. Acts 2.38 says name was an ancient acronym for person. Payment was always made in the name of some person referring to ownership. Therefore, one being baptized in Jesus' name became his personal property. You are Christ. This is a worldly encyclopedia. This is not some religious apostolic doctrine. Oh, I wish I had time. I, I got to keep There's so much more. I wish. So here, here's the deal. I got to finish. Musicians, if you can. Baptism. It's very simple. You know, we, we see in most churches, we do everything in Jesus' name. We pray for our food in Jesus' name. Lord, bless his curry and roti. Multiply it so that in Jesus' name. We pray for the sick in Jesus' name. We cast out demons in Jesus' name. We even marry people in Jesus' name. We renew vows in Jesus' name. We do everything in Jesus' name, except somehow the maybe it's the devil. The most important Act in your life that you will have to make. This is number one. This is more important than who you marry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Somehow, let's not mention the name of Jesus. I, I know well, maybe God, God knows who you mean when you're talking about it. Yes, then why even use the name of Jesus at all? But I'm telling you, there's a movement today. It's going back to apostolic doctrine. The same teachings that the apostles taught. If it makes no difference in the end, praise God. We're all going to be having, rejoicing around in heaven. But if it does make a difference, and I believe it does. Because we will be judged upon according to his word. And so if you've not been baptized in Jesus' name today, the service is for you. We have some folks that are going to be baptized but if you have made that decision, you say, well, maybe I don't know. I'm not sure how I was baptized as a kid. Don't remember. Do you have a baptism certificate? It should say on there how you were baptized. But if you're not brought up in an apostolic church, then it's most likely you were not baptized in Jesus' name. Guess who gave us that teaching? The same church that gave us the veneration of Mary. The same church that gave us praying with beads. And again, I'm not putting them down. This is where the dog, this is history. I'm only talking about history. And yet, we reject some things that they do, but, but still embrace some of the things they do, like baptism in the Trinity. 
Baptism in Jesus' name is a free gift, but it's up to you to take on. Acts chapter 8 tells us a story of Philip, and he comes across an Ethiopian eunuch. He's reading that passage from Isaiah. In verse 32, a place in Scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a, a lamb dumb before his shearer. He opened not his mouth. And Philip says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, how can I understand unless somebody shows me? And Philip says, well, I'm here to show you. We all, I, I needed a Bible study for somebody to show me. And when he showed him who he was referring to, that passage was referring to Jesus, he said these words. He said, see here is water. What's hindering me from being baptized? And Jesus, Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, verse number 37, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He could have said, oh, you believe. Okay, that's all good enough. Go on with your merry way. No. He commanded the chariot to stop. And he went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Hallelujah. But that's just one part of baptism. The other part is that he will fill us with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This is the greatest gift. It's a twofold baptism. It's one baptism, but it's two sides of the one coin. You baptize in water and baptize in the Spirit. God gives you the Holy Spirit. Would you stand to your feet today? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. I'm sorry for taking so long this morning. But I believe that somebody needed to hear that for you to make up your mind. Perhaps you've been battling this same issue. It's time to make that decision today. To receive this free gift of salvation by repenting of your sin. You believe, that's wonderful, but have you received since you believed? We so much as not have heard of this Holy Spirit. But today is your opportunity to respond. You can repent of your sins. You can be baptized. You can be filled with His Holy Spirit as the gift of God. Hallelujah. Would you lift your voices right now in prayer? In the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're going to do in this place. Lord God, we know that your word was forever settled. That heaven and earth will pass away, but your word shall abide forevermore. And so today, Lord God, we come with a hungry heart. We come with an open spirit, Lord Jesus, and a willingness to die to our will, to our pride, to our arrogance and self-will, self Lord, that we may be obedient to your word. Father, we ask you to touch our hearts, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, to give us your goodness and your joy and your peace. And now, Lord, that you would pour out the gift of the Holy Spirit upon our lives this day, that we might be born again of water and the Spirit. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. I've got to stop, but I believe God wants to do a work in somebody's life. And if you believe, I want to ask you and challenge you to come forward to this altar and pray. We have ministers and leaders that are making their way. But I want to invite you to come and pray and seek the Lord at this altar. Maybe you already have the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've been baptized. Perhaps it's, it's, it's healing that you need. It's, it's help that you need for your circumstance. Today is your opportunity. Right now is your time to respond to God's word. This altar is open. Why don't you come and seek the Lord while he may be found. Seek him while he is here. If you need a touch from God, you need to make a decision to repent. Maybe somebody next to you, a brother next to you, can, you can go to somebody and ask them.
would you like to pray and, and ask God to touch your heart, to repent of your sins? He can do that for you today. He can make you into a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now is the time and the opportunity for you to give your heart to God. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Let's surrender our lives to Him. Everything surrender our hearts. To oh, yes. Withholding nothing. Holding 